You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with myself, Ian O'Connell, is Irish singer Tommy Fleming. Tommy rose to fame in the early 90s after he was asked to tour the US with Phil Coulter. He soon established himself as a solo artist and found his greatest success singing traditional Irish music, both old and new. Tommy has toured extensively throughout Ireland, the UK, United States of America and Australia just to name a few. Tommy was in a car accident a couple of years ago which made him really reflect on life after and you'll hear throughout the interview how he looks at life in a totally different way and he's appreciative of every small thing. The, the same as myself, you don't miss the small things until they're gone and um, Tommy can relate to that as well. So I hope you all enjoyed the show and um, I know it's going to be a good listen for you because I, I really in, I'm enjoying talking to, to Tommy myself. So hopefully you all take something from the interview. Tommy, how are things with you? How's um how's life? Good Ian. Um flying at the moment, thank God. Um it's it's busy. I'm in the middle of the Irish tour, um almost halfway there. Um and it's been a it's been a long 18 months as in <clears throat> touring wise. I've um I was I did the UK, I did Australia, did some in the US. So it's 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 been a it's been a, a hectic time. Um I suppose Going back to your um your childhood, I always ask my my guests. Growing up, was um I suppose music always a a part in the 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 family home? Would it always be on in the the background? It was constantly on. <clears throat> it's funny, my um my cousin who's home from Los Angeles, uh, from Wexford, um he's coming to the show next weekend, and he said he was only he's, he's only able to meet up on Friday night because he's recording something for Cayley House <laughs> on Saturday night. And uh, I just laughed when I heard the word Kaylee. I haven't heard that in a long time. We used to, my mum and dad used to listen to it on Radio One um, every Saturday night. Um, but there, there was, there was, there was the, the big, um, the most important piece of furniture in the house when we were growing up was the record player. And there was records played constantly. Um, and there was all styles of music, uh, bear in mind. So it was always, um, it, it was music constantly in the house. And I suppose you said there about the, the records and constantly. Did you have any, I suppose, from a young age and when you got into the music kind of industry more, did you have any musician that you, I suppose, looked up to or that you kind of a favourite? Uh, there was there was loads, even as a kid. Um, you know, like it's funny, I still have Boney M records from when I was seven or eight. Um, you know, By the Rivers of Babylon, Brown Girl in the Ring, all of those songs. Um, and then somebody said to me once, what, what was your introduction to musical theatre? And if I'm honest, my introduction to that was the album uh, for Greece with John Travolta and Livia Newton-John. And that would have been about 1978, 79. Um, so there was, you know, I, I didn't have one specific musician or singer or artist that I looked up to. There was a plethora of them. Um, you know, it went from pop to rock to um, down to uh, even the Carpenters to Jim Reeves to artists like that, that that were constantly played in the house. So without realizing it as kids, 
we were very much influenced by what our parents liked. And I think it's important as well to for anything in life to have kind of a variety. Do you know that you're not stuck on the 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 one <clears throat> song and artist. Oh, absolutely, ever. yeah, absolutely. Every time, um, I suppose in the early nineties, you went, did you go on tour in the US with Phil Coulter? Is that was that would that be right? Yes, absolutely. I was. That was my first um foreign tour in nineteen ninety two. I think I could be wrong in the year, but it's it's either side of it, um, and. I that was my I was only about 21, 22. And that was my first introduction to touring properly. Um and then I joined Idanan in 93 um as the lead singer. So there were two very different disciplines working with Phil and working with Didanan. Um two very different artists. And one one was a band, obviously. Um so I kind of I I, I started to cut my teeth from a very early age in the touring circuit. And I suppose learned the ropes very quickly um, as a as a young guy, um, and it, a lot of the lessons I learned in those days are still lessons that I hold dear today. And um, like you said, you picked up a few bits as well at such a, a young age. Um, you kind of established yourself then as a, I suppose, solo singing traditional music. Did you ever, I suppose, kind of think about going down the the country western kind of side of things or was that genre always the one that you 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 were meant for and uh, the country and western thing never really appealed to me um it, it's not that it didn't appeal to me that's probably that's wrong um what appealed to me would have been uh, the country artists i looked up to and that i really loved were the likes of and luckily i got to work with them at a, at a later stage in my life and my career were the uh, um, artists like vince gill kenny rogers um they they were the country artists that I really I loved because I loved what they did. Um, they weren't over, they weren't over hyped. They weren't overplayed. Um, certainly weren't overindulged. Um, and that's what I looked up to as regards country music. Um, so that never really as a as a type of music, I I, I it's very hard to pigeonhole me and put me into a corner for what kind of music I do because there's a, it's a there's a mixture. Um. And it's mainly at this stage in my life and my career, it's a mixture of both of the musics that I, I work in, um, be it theatre or be it um, kind of folky, contemporary trad music. Um, but no, the country thing never, that never kind of, that, that was never in my, in, my, um, in my radar. Now, I suppose before we move on, I suppose, or do you know, and I've talked to a lot of people, music artists and sports people. How did you find the whole, I suppose, the whole COVID situation when you were at home? Do you know when obviously your industry alone was kind of put on a hold for a while? How did you, did you kind of focus on writing music during the time or did you just take a, a couple of months just to chill out? Um, Both, to be honest with you. Um, In the beginning, I was very lucky because I just finished touring in, I had just done a tour in Australia in 2019, a, a big one, and New Zealand. I just did America that year in 19, and then we closed it all off in the UK and Ireland in 2020. Um, and we finished, I remember we finished on the 9th of March 2020. We came home from Dublin, packing bags and getting all that sorted out, and knowing that this there was something coming down the line because there was a lot of talk of it. Um, and Tina and I had gone, we were in the Far East 
um, in January for a bit of a break on my way home from Australia. And there was a lot of talk of this coronavirus. Um, and we didn't know what it was at the time. And everybody was wearing masks even then over in Thailand. And so we, I came home and the, we, we were kind of concerned about it, to be honest with you. And then when it did hit, I had finished. I was completely, so I, I had no, as the man says, I had no FOMO. I had no fear of missing out on anything because I... I was done. I was I was already winding down. I was resting up and, you know, kind of just taking a break from touring. But the second the second lockdown and possibly the third really, really affected me. Um I found them very difficult. I found it very difficult been not having any control on this, not having any um say in our own future, not having any say in what we could and what we couldn't do as musicians, as performers. And our industry was the very first to be to be stopped, to be shut down, and it was the very, very last to be opened up. So I found it difficult. I did. I found it very difficult. Did I write? Yeah, I did some writing. Um, I wrote the Bend in the Ocean for um the all these years album. I'm not really a big writer. I just write when I kind of feel it. Um, you know, in the thir- in thirty five years of a career, I think I've written about seven songs. So that's less than three songs per decade. <laughs> Um, so I, you know, I, I kind of, I got into the creative process, yes, but I also took the time out to reevaluate time and family and friends and, you know, what I, where I wanted to move, how I wanted to move forward. And that gave me time to do that. And obviously, like you said, their family and friends, the most important thing over, over everything. When you were getting back into performing after COVID, did it, did you have, I suppose, extra motivation once you knew that you were, getting back or was it kind of like a whole I suppose slowly getting into it it was do you know it was a strange one Ian because the first time we went back and I hadn't worked for two years and it was a slog um, if I'm honest you know it was kind of oh god we have to work now <laughs> and and I, now normally I'd be a, I'd be a slave driver I'd, I'd lo- I love work um, but I'd gotten I felt that we all became a bit kind of institutionalized, if that makes sense. Yeah. In that we all we all got used to being sitting at home and not going anywhere. And as my mother, God rest her, would say, we all turned a bit odd. And um, you know, we were afraid to kind of move almost. So it was a bit. It took a while to get back and get the kind of uh, get the mojo going again and get the the the, the energy levels up to be able to do the tours and be able to do the shows. Was it long after when you came back, Tommy, that you got, I suppose, the go-ahead to go on? Because I presume it was just kind of local gigs for a while after COVID. Was it long before you got on, I suppose? I know, it wasn't local. It was, you know, we, we came we came back and we were only allowed 50% capacities. Um, You know, there was a, there was a lot of frustration in, in the process because... You know, you, you know, I was doing uh, online stuff that, that we were asked to do. And, you know, I was only allowed 50 people into the Borth Gosh Energy Theatre, which normally seats two and a half thousand in Dublin. And then that same weekend, I'm looking at uh, crowds of people in Crow Park for a hurling match and throng in the streets. So it, there was a bit of us against them for a while. And there was a bit of the one thing I, that really annoyed me, I'll be honest with you, was 
I felt that the our industry was almost pitted against each other, um, against you know in that people were competing for grants and competing for this, that, and the other. Whereas nobody else had to kind of compete like that. They just got them, and they were automatic. Um, and you, you you kind of again you were looking at you were really restricted in what you could do. But it was a good six months into coming back before we kind of got into the the full swing of touring. When you and you know when you were going on on tour and like everything in life, I suppose Tommy kind of you've people behind the scenes with you. You can do nothing alone. When you're going on say like a a very long tour around say the America and stuff, is there many that go like behind the scenes? I said between band and crew and everything else, there's about twenty to twenty two people that come with us. And um, when you, I suppose I was really, when I was doing a bit of research on you, you you got to go to. Did you go to, was it Hong Kong or Japan or somewhere around there? Oh, that was, uh, yeah, I've done that a few times. Um, What's that done, like? It's like, it's it's not every artist that you'd hear going that kind of side, would you? Um, as some of them have, Japan is quite, Japan is very popular for um, Irish music and folk music. Mary, COVID taught me one thing, that I don't need to be doing that many foreign tours and I don't need to be doing... Um, uh, constantly getting on an airplane to kind of get work. That's, I think my days of that are eased up and I'm not doing as much as I used to. What country, when you are abroad, reminds you the most of, um, I suppose, Ireland? Because Australia, there's half of people in Australia are nearly Irish these days. Australia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Australia, Australia would be, very much reminds me of home. Um, they have the same sense of humour, same... Um, same de- de- deprecating uh, sense of humor. Same take the pick out here. Um, you know, there's no, they're not, they don't take themselves too seriously, just like us. When was the the first time you came to? I suppose the fact we're on Radio Kerry, you've come to Killarney, do any see Lord? My parents have gone to most of your your gigs here. What? When was the first time you were down in um in the kingdom? Oh, the first time I played the kingdom was was the INEC actually. Uh, no, it wasn't. That's tr- that's wrong. It was the uh, Shim Satira in um, Tralee. That would have been 1998, 1999, I think, around that time. You've come back, how, you've come back most years since then, have you? I have. I've come back since 2004, I think. We've done the INEC every year. Um, so we're 20 years doing the INEC. When you are going to, to other places around Ireland, you obviously it's kind of night after night most of the times do you ever get to spend I suppose a day or a couple of hours around the the actual county you're in not really um, to be honest with you and I when like say for example we would do two nights or three nights in Cork in the Opera House and we get obviously we get to spend a bit of time walking around the city and that but I've got to the point where I've seen either isn't a town or county I haven't seen in the country at this stage so it's a case of into the bus and home uh, as soon as the last gig is done. We don't even stay over the night, the last night of the show, so we come home so that you wake up in your own bed. Um, you know, I've got to that point that it's it's great, it's it's fantastic that it's got to that. Um, but it, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't really get to see very much of, because uh, I've seen it, I've seen it, you know, there's a, there's a town I haven't seen. Do you find it hard to kind of guess, I suppose, when you are so busy on tour in Ireland and abroad, do you find it hard to and I spoke to a few music artists like that, and they they say sometimes, most of the time it is, do you find it hard to, I suppose, squeeze in family time during that, say, to go abroad or, or stuff? 
No, I've kind of, we've done it very, we've, we've trained it very well um, in that I finish touring now on the 3rd of March. I finish work on the 3rd of March. We say we, we kind of do half and half. We I'm off on the 3rd of March. Um, I finish on the 3rd of March in Dublin. And then I I take a bit of time off. So we fit into family life and home life and private life into that, into all of that time. So we work is work and life is life after that, you know. Which is most most important, really, getting in the, the family time and during that. When you're performing at a, a venue, like a large crowd, is it um, hard you to kind of, is it important that you kind of have, not a relationship, but you're on the same level as the audience that you can, like, you know, is it hard to kind of know how to stuff or chat to them? Is it different everywhere? Um, You do the show um, and you put, it, you put your heart and soul into the show. The most important part of the show is the audience, because there wouldn't be a show without the audience. Um, the the audience are the are the most uh, the audience are the leaders in all of this. Because um, without the audiences that we that have been so supportive of us over the years, um, we wouldn't be doing what we do. And it's just to be honest with you, I I, I never gauge it. There's nothing to gauge because you're there to. The, the audience have, you know, they're there to hear you and to put on a good show. So it's, you you you, there's, you do the same show every night in, night out. And it doesn't matter how tired or fatigued or how much you don't want to do it or do want to do it. You, you get up and you, you put on the show. You, as my mum used to say, get get up, dress up, show up, you know, and that's that's the motto of it. And um, I suppose, do you know, you, you've had your own, I suppose, tragedy, a lot of people, know about it did you how, how do you find do you find music a form of i i suppose therapy as when you when you are going through tough times in life or even anybody do you think the music is a good thing to turn to music is one of the best universal languages in the world music is one of the best universal therapists in the world um you know if you go for a walk if you're the music is is all around you all the time um and it's therefore it's it's the one thing that it grounds you it lifts you it's um, it soothes you. Um, it just it entices you. It uh, energizes you. It so music is one of the best things, uh, and it, that's why they call it the universal language. Um, and I find it. I suppose because I'm a musician, I turn to it. Um, you know, like I always say, this when during the to my parents' um illness before they passed away, I listened constantly to, um, Alison Krauss. I found that very soothing and very comforting. Um, and, you know, different types of music comfort me at different times. So, yeah, I, I, I do turn to music. Yeah, even myself, when I had my my accident, music was the one thing that, that helped me as well, you know, when I wasn't able yeah. to, to use my phone. I, I, yeah, I, I can imagine. And, you know, sometimes it just, it, even if it distracts you for five minutes, it's a distraction from what you're thinking about prior to that. When you are performing, is it important when you have... Not to sing all damn all your new songs. Is it important to sing all the, I suppose the the older ones as well, so the audience get a full mix of them? Oh, you have to. I mean, I've gone to a lot of concerts over the years, and the ones that I've always been disappointed in are the ones where the person is singing all their new album, and you don't know any of it. Um, you know, I know new songs have to become old songs at some point, and some and old songs were new songs at some point. So. It has to be a very uh, fine balancing act 
because you can, if you do too much new stuff, the audience, you've lost the audience. And if you do too much old stuff, they're kind of, you can bore them also. So you have to be, you kind of have to be very careful in what you, what you, what you introduce, but you introduce it slowly. It's like, it's like putting a mixture into a cake. You have to do it slowly to make sure that it rises. I heard you saying on an interview before, and I wanted to ask you this anyway, social media as a, as a singer, how important is social media for, I suppose, promoting, I suppose, your own, your own self and your tours and stuff. And obviously social media can be an awful thing as well with negative comments, but on the side of it for like promoting, how, how do you think, how important is that? Well, it's, it's, it's hugely important now. Um, social media is the new, dare I say it, local radio. Um, social media, everyone has, like I'm, I'm talking to you right now with a phone. Um, and everybody has that little device on their lap or in their hand or in where right beside them. The social media, you're getting right into people's psyche as soon as you advertise on it, as soon as you engage in it. It's a different, it's a different platform. You know, in, in the 1960s and the 1970s, you had just national radio, be it Radio 1 or whichever it was, or Radio Nagelskakta. Um, and then in the late 80s, 90s, local radio is the big thing um, so everything has its time and its place so as in as, how important is it it's, it's hugely important at the moment um, you know social everyone's on social media be it what it was Twitter be it X or be it TikTok be it Instagram or Facebook obviously the, it's generational as well you know the younger people are on TikTok um, the more um argumentative or um professionally as in journalism and all of that are in on x which was twitter and then there's a generation that just do instagram and facebook um i don't do i do instagram and facebook i don't engage in x i find it very toxic it is i find it yeah i find so i negativity is there's enough negativity in the world without adding to it you know so and i find keyboard warriors are the biggest cowards of the whole lot of them you know, they, these are the people that would never stand in front of you and say what they, what they would write down to your face. So I, I just don't engage with that. I find that, uh, I find what used to be Twitter an absolute cesspool. So I don't engage in there. Um, Instagram and Facebook, they're, they're, it's a nice platform. It's a good advertising platform. It's a, it's a feel-good platform. And once, you know, as long as you, um, as long as it's used healthily, as long as it's, uh, you know, you don't believe it all, obviously. There's, there's a whole element of, I used to say, of a Hello magazine attached to it, that that's not life. Um, that's, you know, you know what life is behind that. It's the same principle as believing your own PR. Um, you know, that's, it's a dangerous place to be if you do, if you do that. It is, I think, Twitter or X is, it is the most toxic out of them, out of them all. Mm. Whereas on Instagram, Facebook, they kind of, Censor stuff, and they're they're more kind of on on top of what I think. Um, on your own Instagram, you always have um pictures up of your your dog Tate. How would you like to <laughs> to to chill out on the days off? Is it bring bring the dog I, for a walk, go for a stroll? It, it go Ted. I go do the gym in the morning when I'm off. Um, Ted, and then so at some point in the day, if it's not too wild or windy, I bring Ted for a good walk. Um, he's getting old, so he's he's not as lively as he used to be. Um. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a big part of my life. All right, he's a he's he's a, he's a bit of a companion. That every time he's he's just a something about dogs that they 
they love you unconditionally and um there's, there's something amazing about that absolutely um when you as your when you were in the the, the car accident Tommy, i wanted to ask you did what did you learn about yourself while you were going through all that is it the people that were there for you that's i suppose your own circle or do you look back on it as not a good thing but you kind of found out stuff it's very hard to not say not a good thing because I look back on it. Um, I don't look back on it with joy, that's for sure. Um, I look back on it with trepidation in that I I always say it's. I learned some of the best lessons in life from, from that. Um, you know, I learned, uh, the best way to put it is that I learned to separate the wheat from the chaff, as in the people that I didn't need around me, they, they disappeared anyway. I didn't need to get rid of them. And the people that were closest to me were there, whether I wanted them or not, and they stuck by me. So that's one of the lessons I learned. Um, I also learned to value life very much so, um, in that I, you know, you t- I things could be an awful lot worse. So when when things when you're feeling bad or things are going the wrong way for you, you look back on where when it was at, at its worst for you, and you say it's never as bad as that. So you know, keep moving. Did you find it hard to get back into performing after the accident for after being out for so long? I, I don't really remember that, to be honest with you. I kind of just, once I got back, I got back and I just, had, I got on with it. Um, there was no kind of, um, oh, woe was me, I'm finding this difficult or anything like that. I just got picked myself up and said, to hell with this, I need to get back to work and did it. Um, and without thinking too much about it, you know, um, I don't believe in any of this kind of everything was difficult and, you know, you found it hard to get back or you found it easy to get back or whatever it might be. You just got on with it. Now, I hope you're all enjoying the show so far and I hope you're all enjoying Tommy's story and all the other things we've been talking about besides besides music, about his own his own personal life in general as well. I hope you're all you're all enjoying it. Absolutely. I remember watching um, and listening on your social media to Jeep Tunes. What was the, the, the idea behind that? There was no idea behind it. Um it was it was something that just happened. Um it happened organically, as in the, there was no kind of set, oh, I'm going to do this to get followers or to get views. I found a load of backing tracks when we were doing clear outs in the office. Um during the COVID during COVID when it was there was nothing else to do. And Tina said to me, We need to d- digitize these. So to take them and take them and kind of put them into digital format so we could have them on, on backup on files and they were on CD actually. So we ended up um I used to put them into the CD player in the car because it was the only CD player we had player we had. And that's when I said to hell with it, I'd sing a song with it in the car. And that's when Ted kind of jumped into the four as well. Um so that's how that came about. And it was it was a, it gave me purpose. It gave me um you know, instead of just sitting around all day doing nothing when there was nothing to do, I found something to do and got up in the morning or that the evening or the evening before I learned the song. Uh, and then that gave me purpose to get up in the morning and get into the Jeep and do the song. And, you know, it it was just something that happened organically. Have you seen a big change in the music industry from when you started up until now? Of course there is. I mean, I'm 34 years doing it. So if there's no change in 34 years, there's something wrong. Um and you have to embrace change. You know, I mean, when when I was a kid, it was all uh, vinyl records. And then it moved from there to tapes, from tapes to CDs. And then from C- CDs became obsolete and all of the b- before. And 
then it moved into digital. And now it's kind of gone back full circle. So it's gone back to vinyl again. So, you know, the, the change is inevitable. And I think it's important that you move with change and you accept change and you embrace it more than accept it. Because if you don't, you're going to be left behind. Have you seen a big, um, I suppose, now these days, even your type of music and country music, that there's more younger people getting into it? Have you noticed that? In which, in my music, because I, I don't do, I don't listen to, I don't do the country music. No, thing, no, so no. I'm say, saying in, in, that. in your music and say country music. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of younger people that are coming along, and what I've noticed big time is, um, where the older pe- people, I suppose the mother and father, let's put it that way, generational. Uh, and mum and dad go out to my concert and when the kids were very young they got a babysitter and then as the kids got older they brought them with them so now what I find is you've got almost full fa- you know g- generations of families coming to the shows um, that have grown up with your music so that that's one thing I've noticed um, and it's become generational uh, which I love um, and it's much easier to um, it, it's, it's, it's much easier to embrace it then and to see it and to really kind of know that you're doing something right or wrong. Now, I think they were blessed in Ireland to have many great singers, the likes of Tommy Fleming to Mike Denver, and going further up the country to the likes of Cleona Hagen. It's amazing to see where Tommy's talent is taking him. Tommy says that Japan is very popular for traditional and folk Irish music, so I'm going to give you a short rundown of the history of it. It began as an oral tradition passed down from generation to generation by listening, learning by ear and without writing the tunes down on paper. This practice is still encouraged to this day. The traditional music played by the Irish came to Ireland with the Celts 2000 years ago. The Celts were influenced by music from the East and it's believed the traditional Irish harp originated in Egypt. The harp was the most popular instrument in ancient times and harpists were employed to play for the chieftains and to create music for the nobles. This was until the flight of the earls, when the native Irish chieftains fled the land under threat of invaders. With the flight of their patrons to mainland Europe, the harpists were left to travel the country and play wherever they could. The most famous of these was Turlock O'Carolan, whose great fame is owed to his gift of composition. Although not a composer in the classical sense, he is considered to be Ireland's national composer. For almost 50 years, O'Carolan journeyed from one end of Ireland to the other, composing and performing his tunes. Not until 1762 were the tunes written down for the first time and collectors began to travel the country composing music that can still be viewed today. The largest collection of traditional and folk music in the world is in the Irish Traditional Music Archive in Dublin. Traditional music has travelled much further than the 32 counties of Ireland. It has travelled around the world with the country's long history of immigration. It was during the time of the Great Famine of 1845 that the vast numbers emigrated to the United States bringing the music with them. In 1920, Irish music had a revival in the States when recordings were made for the first time. Michael Coleman's fiddle recordings were to influence fiddle players in the States, Ireland and around the world for years to come. Tommy, thanks a million for popping on today and I appreciate Not your at time. All, thank, 
Thanks a million for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to returning to the kingdom on Friday the 1st. Um, it's only a few weeks away. It's always a pleasure to play down there. And it's always, the Kerry audience are brilliant. So I, I, I there's a, there's an element to them that's great crack. And uh, there's an element that you don't mess with either. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, it's brilliant. You know where you, you know where you, uh, you stand with us, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tommy, thanks a million. Now, unfortunately, that's always time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show and I appreciate you tuning in as always. If you have any questions, suggestions or requests for next week's show, you can contact me through my Instagram, enoconnell321, my Twitter is enoconnell00, or you can always get me on my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. A massive thanks to Tommy for coming on tonight and talking about his own story, how he got into Irish um, traditional music, what the the music scene is like in Ireland and what way it's heading and the future and we got into a lot of different topics as well as his own I suppose personal life and the the tough times he's gone through and um how he got over them. So a massive thanks to, to Tommy Fleming for coming on tonight and having a chat and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as um as much as I did interviewing Tommy. I hope you're all having a great week so far. Stay tuned in to Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley is up next with that's jazz. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Eno Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8 p.m. here on Radio Kerry.